Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Life Brand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We are gearing up for the next step of the pre-draft process today. The All-Star Games about to be in full swing. And we're going to get things started here with Mr. Relevant, where Eric Galco is going to stop by to preview the top names you need to know going into the Shrine Bowl, the week of practices in Las Vegas, Nevada. They get started this Thursday. The game culminates uh, next Thursday over on NFL Network. So we've got a week's worth of practices ahead of us out in Las Vegas. We're going to talk through uh, the top players at every position here with Eric Galco. And we'll get back later next week as well to preview or to recap rather the big standout players from the week of practice in Las Vegas. And also we are going to be daily next week, every single day. We will have podcasts here on this feed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We will be in mobile Alabama for the senior bowl. Like I said, we're going to recap earlier in the week, what happened at Shrine bowl practices. And then we're going to get you ready and give you the, the, the blow by blow uh, recap of practice uh, every single day from Mobile, Alabama. Can't wait uh, to get down to Mobile. Uh, Always one of my favorite trips every single year. So we're going to be doing that uh, next week right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. But to keep this episode going, after Mr. Relevant, we're going to transition to Draft Buzz, where I catch up with Ben Fennell, where he had another mock draft to go through. Bucky Brooks from NFL.com put out a really interesting mock draft. Ben and I are going to break it down. Really fun taking a look at that article this week. We've got our draft mailbag, a question about the draft class as a whole to wrap things up for our draft mailbag segment. And if you want more Q&A, that was what we did all episode earlier this week. Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, myself, we answered all of your questions right here on the episode. You go back to earlier in the feed from earlier this week. Ben, Dane, myself answered a bunch of questions uh, that you guys had. You submitted some great questions. And as always, the best way to reach us is to go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a question, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. We will get to it here on an upcoming episode, and we're going to do that. We're going to answer one of your questions at the end of this show. That said, uh, let's get this episode rolling. Excited to catch up once again with Eric Galco, this week's Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited this week for Mr. Relevant to be joined by a guy who's been on the show numerous times this season. That is my friend, Eric Galco, uh, who over at the Shrine Bowl, the week is here. Uh, really excited to preview this event. Uh, and Eric, before we get into some of these players, I want to ask you, like, uh, take us through year one. You've been on the job now uh, officially less than a year. Uh, I want to, yeah. number one, just know like uh, what it was like. Uh, was it everything you expected? Uh, you got to be excited for everything to culminate into this week's event. You know, it's it, it was it certainly had things that I expected didn't happen the way that it did. I would say my experience, I've, I've run an, a smaller all-star game earlier on in my career. And my previous job was the XFL, which was leading the roster building of eight professional football teams. So this is basically two football teams and it was a little bit easier this time around, but no, it was, it was certainly great to kind of talk with coaches and players and agents and, and kind of get a good sense for, for their buildup from leaving college. And I, I really appreciate that the Shrine Bowl, just like any all-star game is these players first pro experience. And mm-hmm. I, I take that really seriously when I started thinking that way. And I want to make sure these players walk into the shrine bowl and are both blown away as well as treated and act like professionals that whole week. So it's been a lot of building toward this moment and we're excited to host these guys in beautiful Las Vegas. So I was not at the Shrine Bowl, or, or not, no one was at the Shrine Bowl last year because uh, it got canceled because of COVID-19. <laughs> right. So it's been a couple of years since the event has taken place physically. Uh, I know you and your staff have instituted a number of changes. You mentioned the, the move to Las Vegas being a big one. Uh, of the changes you guys have made, what, what has been your favorite? What gives you the most excitement uh, about what the new look version of the Shrine Bowl looks like? 
Yeah, I mean a lot. I mean from from a, what what media I think we'll see and fans will see is the personnel changes, right? The eleven personnel and twelve personnel teams. Just seeing how like wow, I can evaluate this slot receiver or this three four edge rusher better than I ever could at any All Star game before, right? Those are always guys that got lost in the shuffle a little bit. So I think that's a cool thing for fans. I'm most passionate about I think our player analytics player content ownership, player recovery, like making sure players have an awesome experience. Again, this is their first pro experience, but also we live in a world where where players want and deserve more. And I think this is not a, a four days of practice in a game for players. This is a real experience. And I think that the, what we're providing to players that whole week long is what I'm most passionate about. But certainly football-wise, I think the personnel splits, um, no extra points in the game, only two-point conversions. Um, great coaches around the NFL are going to be our head coaches and our coordinators, which is really exciting too. So a lot of things, I can't pick one, Fran, I'm sorry, I'm doing a bad job answering question. I can't pick one, um, but I'm excited about a bunch of those things because it's, we did, a, we threw a lot of stuff at the Shrine Bowl this year and we're excited to see what sticks. Obviously a, a lot of changes and it's really exciting just to see the, the direction uh, that the game, the event is going. And obviously that's a, a huge testament uh, to you and your staff. Uh, let's get into some of these players. And I want to kind of go position yeah. by position. We don't need to do too deep a dive, but I do want to get some elevator speeches. What I'll do is I'm going to bring up a name that I'm excited about that's on the roster. And then if you want to, and I also a name that uh, I want to know more about. So kind of, you know, give me the, the selling, the, the selling speech, the elevator speech uh, on a couple of these guys. Number one, we'll start a quarterback, a guy I'm excited about Dustin Crumb big arm kid uh, from Kent state. And then a guy I want to know more about, and that's from the Ivy league, EJ Perry from Brown. Yeah. Dustin Crum, uh, I'm not mistaken, back-to-back Mac player of the year, the last two years, right? Yep. So he's been as productive as you could in the conference known for churning out, you know, usually day three guys. We'll see if Dustin ends up going day two or day three, but usually guys that end up sticking around the NFL for a long time. Dustin has a compact release, great deep ball. All of his best highlights are all in those deep 40, 50 yard throws into the end zone. And I think he's gotten even better. He's working out with Kenny Pickett. I've talked to scouts who have been through there. Sometimes you can't tell who's better, Kenny Pickett or Dustin Crum, right? Not to slight Kenny Pickett, but the talent is not so so vast between those two quarterbacks. And Kenny's considered one of the better quarterbacks as well in this draft class. And then <clears throat> EJ Perry, um, that's my guy. I, I think people, you know, he was a four-star recruit in, in Massachusetts, went to Boston College, was going to be the starter. New coach, Phil Dracovich transfers in, and EJ kind of becomes the backup despite being an incredibly talented player. Goes to Brown, has a great career despite maybe not playing on the best of teams. Get coached by his uncle, um, who's a great coach and a great quarterback developer as well. But EJ is going to be one of the best athletic testing quarterbacks in the last two or three years. He has a rocket for an arm. He's an incredibly mobile quarterback. Ivy League, so it's easy to say, check the box. He's smart, right? He can handle that kind of stuff. And I think people are going to, I think he's going to be the quarterback that we look back and say, 2022 quarterback sleeper, EJ Perry. Everyone's going to write that article. So hopefully people go to the Shrine Bowl will see it up hand and personal. Interesting. Yeah, I think with the, he's our, an interesting player. Obviously, not a lot of players, not a lot of people know about. So I'm glad you were able to give us a little bit of info there on EJ Perry. Let's go to the running back position. Calvin Turner from Hawaii, kind of a do everything guy that I've been really excited about. I've compared him in the past on this podcast to Jarek McKinnon when he was coming out of Georgia Southern. Uh, I'm fired up about him. And I want to know more about South Dakota State's Pierre Strong, a guy who has gained some buzz, especially with what he's done here this season. Yeah, Calvin's an interesting prospect because I would say, you know, we think he's you know, me and our staff think running back is kind of where his starting point is. Obviously, yep. he's a hybrid guy with a lot of things. We think it's running back. I would say most NFL teams view more as a receiver, which is interesting. I think the ability to to kind of win in the short area on quicker routes and then run after catch is where his value is going to be. But I think for every team, he's going to be a gadget, multiple type look type player. Some teams are incredibly bullish on him in part because of the return ability. 
even teams that don't think he could be NFL returner still love the player, can do a lot of things. So I think he'll be in a million places um, over the course of the Shrine Bowl week. And I think teams are going to want to see him at running back and receiver. And I think for him, we'll probably play him more at receiver because he played more running back in his college career, obviously quarterback before then. Um, and Pierre Strong, I, I think Pierre is one of the top two or three pass blocking running backs in this draft class. I think he's one of the top four or five out of the backfield route runners, right? Maybe not an elusive guy in space. That's not necessarily his game, but a really sufficient pass catcher as well. And then incredible contact balance, patience through the hole, finishes runs consistently, both with strength as well as getting to his top speed and staying linear. Pierre Strong's going to play in the league. And I would say he's a guy that probably starts games by a second year in the league, right? We know running backs for so much turnover. I just think Pierre Strong does so many things well that teams just say he's got to be a running back two, running back three, and then one injury, which unfortunately happens a lot in football, and Pierre Strong's rushing for 800, 900 yards in a season. So Pierre Strong will play in the NFL, and, and he'll be a guy that you'll have on your fantasy at some point. The, the sense I get from people that have watched Pierre Strong is like you can't walk away from watching the film and not like the player. Like, yeah, you, know, exactly. you can talk about the upside and all that, but just like enjoyed watching him play. Uh, everybody seems to agree that that's the case with Pierre Strong. Let's get to wide receiver. Uh, Javon Hiley from Coastal Carolina is a guy you've actually talked about here on this podcast, a, a certified deep threat. He's a guy that can get on top, make plays down the field, did that for the chance at clears each of the past couple of seasons. And a guy I want to know more about, Kyle Phillips from UCLA, who I know is an all-conference player uh, in the Pac-12, has done a little bit on offense and on special teams as well. Uh, Javon Hiley is, is you know, both the, I mean, I, I'm going to say it, all these guys are all my favorites, but but Javon Hiley is a guy we talked about a while ago, and, and genuinely, I think he, and, and we talk about Chris Olave as an outstanding route runner. I think Javon and Chris Olave are the two best route runners in college football, and Chris Olave opt out of all all-star games this year. So in my opinion, Javon Hiley might be the best route runner in any all-star game this year. You'll see um, – the deep speed's a question. I think he'll answer that at the NFL Combine and as Pro Day. But in terms of just getting separation, one of the most natural dig, post, comeback route runners we'll see coming out of the college level this year. He'll be somewhere in the third, fourth round, maybe earlier if he runs well at the Combine, but a fantastic player. And then Kyle Phillips. Um, there's a catch, and I'm going to butcher which game it was. There's a catch where he has a back shoulder from the slot, and you're saying, was that Cooper Cup or is that Kyle Phillips? And I think as a stylistically, he's maybe not as vertically threatening um, in those deep digs and posts as Cooper Cup, but he has more range than Hunter Redfro. He's somewhere between those two guys as a prospect. Cooper Cup went third round. Hunter Redfro went fifth or sixth round. I think Kyle Phillips in that same area. But if Kyle Phillips, one of the best slot receivers in this draft class for sure. Yeah, and again, uh, bring some value on special teams uh, as well. Let's get to tight end here. Uh, a guy I'm excited about, Lucas Kroll, who started his career at the Gators and down in Florida, uh, transferred because they had a you know a guy that some people have heard of in, in uh, Kyle Pitts, uh, who went fourth overall last year. And a guy I want to know more about, Garrett Prince uh, from UAB, a little bit of a one-year wonder there uh, for UAB. Yeah, Lucas Kroll, I mean, high recruit, was a guy that really impressed people at Florida, wanted to transfer to Pitt to get a new look, went to a great situation and immediately developed rapport with, with Kenny Pickett. I know that one of the second or third game of the year, he has a corner route for a touchdown. And then from there just kind of exploded. He was one of Kenny's go-to guys along with Jordan Addison in that offense. And I think what Kroll wants to show this year at the, at the Shrine Bowl in the draft process, he's obviously a great talent and a great athlete. He can route run at a very high level in line and in space. I think showing block ability to play a traditional Y in the NFL. If he can show that, hey, I can do all the route tree and hold up as a pass and run blocker as a tight end, I think he's in for, for great things in the NFL. And then Garrett Prince, one of the best H-backs in this draft class. He's going to be on our 12 personnel team, him and Chigo Kongwo from Maryland, two really athletic guys who are better if they're not attached in the line of scrimmage, can do a little more versatile in terms of alignment and, and where they're playing in the defense. So he's going to fit perfectly in kind of that 12 personnel team. He can do some H-back and maybe out of the backfield stuff. 
outstanding route runner. I think he led the country in tight ends, touchdowns this year. Um, I think he, he held that all year long. So productive in the end zone, can make plays after the catch, has some sneaky athleticism that he kind of lulls you to sleep with the route and they can burst by you as a DB. I think he'll be one of the more intriguing tight ends of the Shrine Bowl this year. Well, let's get into the trenches here with offensive line. And uh, I grouped this entire group together. So a lot of players to pick from, but Alec Lindstrom is a guy that I've always had a soft spot for at the center from Boston college, three-year starter. I think he's just checks a lot of boxes. Um, you know, obviously the, the size is a little bit of a concern, but overall I, I really like what Alec Lindstrom brings to the table. And then uh, Bam Oleseni, uh from Utah, I think is a guy is a fascinating, uh, you know, futures prospect, a guy to see to develop interesting background. Interesting to get your thoughts on Oleseni as well. Yeah, we'll start with um, Alec Lindstrom, one of my favorite players. I live up in Boston. I've been at Boston College in the offseason multiple times, been to their games. I've watched Alec Lindstrom play for his whole entire you know college career. Certainly saw his brother play before. Chris Lindstrom, former first-round pick of the Atlanta Falcons, current starting guard. And I think Alec has a lot of his brother's ability to finish and be a mauler, but obviously being that center and playing multiple positions – and Alex actually been a long step for us as well for his team because he can do that at an NFL level too. Talk about versatility. But he'll play center, both guard spots. He might play a little bit of tackle in the week as well. But smart, high football IQ, can hold his spot, and it's a really good job as an interior pass blocker and then finishing as a run blocking player as well. So he can hold up in the in the A gaps and then finish on the linebacker at second level. In my opinion, Alec is one of the best centers in this draft class. And I think he and his teammate at Boston College, Zion Johnson, will both be centers in the NFL. And I'm curious who's better, because Zion maybe has a bit more talent. Maybe maybe Alec can admit that. But as far as centers go, not many smarter centers in college football than Alec Lindstrom. And then finally, Bam Oleseni, incredibly impressive this year, got better as the season went on. He played Kayvon Thibodeau twice in, in back-to-back games and got better the second game. You can tell the growth that he made going against a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau, the likely number one overall pick. I think Bam also being a national player, he has a lot of room to get better and to grow. Immensely talented, very wide as a player. You watch him on film, you can say, wow, he takes up two lineman spots. That's how wide he is. And we're excited to see him play at the Shrine Bowl. Yeah, he hasn't played a ton of football either. Uh, just a, yeah. a really interesting background there. Let's go to the defensive side. Jeffrey Gunter, the pass rusher from Coastal Carolina, has been doing it there for a couple of, a couple of years for the Chanticleers. Just a, a power, brute force uh, kind of player, and, I, and a really fun to study on tape. And I, I also want to know a little bit more about a guy I actually have not studied yet, and I might get the last name wrong, so excuse me if I am wrong here. Uh, David Aneni, uh, I believe, from uh, from Houston, converted linebacker. Anytime you see anybody bring him up, draft Twitter kind of goes nuts uh, for David Aneni. So interesting to get your thoughts on Gunter, who I who I have studied, and then the the, the Houston pass rusher as well. Got to do, do your homework, Frank. Got to do your homework on this. And I'm a stickler for name <laughs> pronunciation. You know this. So I, it, it bothers me that I did not look that up before we did this podcast. <laughs> um, no, and then he's a, we'll go to any a second too, but he's a fascinating prospect. But Jeffrey Gunter, I, I think one of the better edge rushers in this draft class. First off, incredibly smart. Um, as soon as I start talking about the Shrine Bowl, he was all in to learn on what I can get better at, what I can focus on. He's he's a guy that's got great coaching at Coastal Carolina and has so much room to get better as an edge rusher. You have to be a plus athlete to be great in the NFL. He is that. He has a whole you know, host of pass rush moves and he'll show those off of the Shrine Bowl in a more, you know, three, four setting, which I think fits him perfectly. He'll be on our three, four defense, but great athlete, hard worker. He's going to work with Drew Wilkins um, on the uh, East coaching staff. Drew Wilkins, you know who that is. He's an outside linebacker coach for the Ravens for the last eight years. So he's worked with Terrell Suggs, Matt Judon, um, OA this year as well. So I think Jeffrey Gunter is going to get a lot of development at the Shrine Bowl and be a great player. And I think he has a great chance to be a top hundred pick uh, for sure. <clears throat> and then, on uh, David Anani, long, physical. He can he plays right now in kind of a wide nine, and sometimes gets a little tighter the splits as a bull rusher on the edge. 
long, athletic, has a lot of room to grow. I think some teams think, hey, we can add 15, 20 pounds and play more inside. Some teams say, keep him on the outside and let him loose. But active, long, athletic, can bend, checks every box you want, and, and that rusher is going to get a lot better in his NFL career. Let's get to some of these interior guys. Uh, Matt Henningsen from Wisconsin is a player that I've done that he's just a good football player. Like, you know, maybe he's not super flashy, but uh, the technique is always sound. He's really strong. He's got some pop. He's got a high motor. Uh, Matt Henningsen from Wisconsin is a guy I really like. And then uh, Myron Tangavailoa Amosa from Notre Dame uh, has some inside out versatility. I know he's played on the edge a bit uh, at Notre Dame. It's to kind of get your thoughts on both of those guys transitioning to the league. Yeah, both those guys can can play a bit of a couple spots, right? Henningsen played a lot of nose tackle at Wisconsin, but some teams like him at a five technique because it's a way to kind of eat up two gaps and play that at a high level. So he'll be doing some nose and some five tech on our three four team. And a guy that very, very strong, can bend at the knees really well. So he gets great leverage despite being a six three defensive tackle. I think his ability to get leverage, win, and then escape, right? To, to shed those blocks at a high level, win it as a two-gap player, what you have to as a five-tech, and Henningsen does that on film very well. We'll see if he can do it as a five-tech against a couple first and second and third round picks at the, end of, at the Shrine Bowl this year on the offensive line. And then Myron Tegavailoa, Mosa, a guy some teams think, hey, he could be a 4-3 strong side end for us because he can kind of hold that tackle and, and protect that B-gap and maybe work outside a little bit. <clears throat> some teams, <clears throat> excuse me, some teams like him more as a five-tech and I want to see him play, a, play two gap a little bit and penetrate upfield, but no matter what, high motor gets great bend, gets low to the ground, and can really finish when he gets in the backfield. Huge strength for Myron Tega by Loa Mosa. Yeah, that versatility uh, really strong for both players, as you mentioned. Uh, let's get to linebacker. One guy I've done. Idaho's uh, Trey Walker. And I think this guy profiles as someone who's going to go late in the draft, maybe potential undrafted free agent, whatever you want to say early, you know, maybe somewhere at day three. And he becomes, don't be shocked if he becomes a starter as like uh, that, that run stuffing uh, instinctive thumper uh, inside. And then Carson Wells, I have not done from Colorado, who's got all these athletic traits. I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on him um, from a projection standpoint. Yeah, Trey's a guy that you right away you see the roles you mentioned, right? He can win as a run defender in the NFL right away, right? He can play inside the box. He can finish as a tackler. He gets off those guards very well. He shakes his shoulders around, able to kind of get good position to be as a run defender. But a lot of growth this year as a coverage back guy. And I think it's where he has to grow as in the NFL, and he knows that. And I think his ability to play Mike and even some Will, if he can improve his coverage with his kind of size, is where, where he'll be kind of a versatile chess piece at linebacker and then hopefully potentially start in the NFL pretty soon. But if he can develop some coverage, which he got better at this year, that's really his strength is going to be to be an NFL player. And then you mentioned Carson Wells. Carson Wells is an outstanding athlete. He had a great career, great season in 2020, started a bit slower in 2021, but got better as the season went long. Outstanding athlete. I've talked to people at his training facility, just raving about kind of numbers he's going to post at the NFL Combine. A physical freak, extremely explosive. He is a true 3-4 edge rusher, right? I think he'll show that at the Shrine Bowl this year about winning on the edge, but also winning with power. If you're a 3-4 strong side edge who can win as a bull rusher, not lose that B-gap integrity, and finish on the quarterback, there are 32 NFL teams who would love that player right now. Well, let's get that. And Carson Wells, obviously very, very gifted. But the one guy that I would argue might be the most talented player in Vegas uh, this week will be Jack Jones, the corner from Arizona State. Just so gifted as a cover corner, uh, whether it's man zone, doesn't matter. Uh, this guy is really, really impressive. Started his career at USC, makes the transition to Arizona State, and has just been so good whenever uh, he's been on the field. So I know you're high on Jack Jones, but another guy I just want to know more about, and I've studied a little bit of tape on Dallas Flowers from Pittsburgh State, uh, but just a unique backstory uh, with Dallas Flowers. So I'm interested to kind of get the scouting report on him as well. 
Yeah, Jack, Jack Jones is, is someone that I think people have known for a long time, four, maybe five-star recruit coming out of high school, had an incident at USC, and Jack's been incredibly upfront about talking about that. And one of the reasons that he's going to focus the Shrine Bowl on the interview process, he'll have 24 hours of interview time to take with every NFL team, every NFL GM, and he wants to explain that background. But on the field, Fran, you mentioned it, one of the best man cover corners in this draft class, I think he's probably the best man cover corner in this draft class. I would argue he's one of the betters in the last few years. I know he's my guy, so I'm kind of hyping up a little bit. But you see shades of Tredavious White, the ability to kind of really cover guys downfield. And worst case scenario, Jack Jones would be one of the best nickel corners uh, in the NFL as well. Incredibly talented. I think he has true first-round aspirations. And if he could interview well and play at the Shrine Bowl, like I know he could. And the first round is very much in play for Jack Jones. And then Dallas Flowers. He, he's a very physical corner. He's got great length. He can get downfield very well. He is one of the best hitting corners and more physical corners I've studied on film this year, right? And it's it, you wonder if he can play safety, but you don't want to move a guy to safety that can bend and turn his hips that well. So I think Dallas is a very intriguing corner. He's dominated at the NIL and D2 level in his college career. He's going to get a chance to go against some of the best receivers in the draft for the Shrine Bowl. I think teams want to see can he play safety, which he'll do a bit that week? Can he play nickel because he's so physical? But really, can he hang as an outside corner? I'm not sure how early Dallas Flowers goes. I'm not sure what round he goes in the NFL. I just know he's going to be a hell of an NFL player. And I think teams are very, very bullish on what they saw in college. And they're desperately trying to see him at the Shrine Bowl this year in a bunch of roles. And hasn't he also been like a, a ridiculous return man wherever he's been too? Like yes. I think he's supposed to like multiple return touchdowns and like three of his last four stops, something along those lines. D- Dallas Flowers might be like an NFL running back. I'm not sure what right. he is quite yet. He's a corner <laughs> safety returner. He's so physical. He's so active. He's going to play in the league. I'm not sure where yet. It's a good problem to have. I know Shane Coughlin had mentioned is that like oh maybe we'll get him some uh, some looks on offense uh, when he's <laughs> when he's not in Vegas. So uh, Flowers are a really interesting player uh, heading up to you guys uh, here this week. Let's round it out with safety uh, and a guy that I'm really excited about a Vegas native there uh, went to Bishop Gorman High School. Bubba Bolden from Miami, start another guy started his career at USC, uh, transferred out east uh, to the Hurricanes. And when he's been on the field, he's been productive. Battled some injuries uh, the last couple of years, but uh, has been always around the football. He's got to get a little bit cleaner with as a tackler. But the highs are really really impressive there with. Bubba Bolden. And then I want to know, know a little bit more about Louisiana safety, Percy Butler uh, as well. I know a guy, I, I know some guys have been very, very high on him uh, down there with the Raging Cajuns. Yeah, we'll start with Bubba Bolden. He's unfortunately had an injury at the end of the season this past year. He's working really hard, ready to go for the East-West Rumble to play. We hope he is, but we're not going to obviously rush him out there. But active, can be a really great tackler in the box and in space, can make plays in the ball in the perimeter. I think his destiny is probably as a cover two safety where he can have just kind of one area then come downhill as a tackler, but a really, really impressive athlete. Teams coming into the year kind of had second, third round grades on Bubba. I think maybe the injury maybe gives him some cause of concern, but if he can play at the Shrine Bowl or worst case, perform at the NFL Combine, the ceiling is super, super high for Bubba Bolden. Again, a Las Vegas native works on to host back in Las Vegas. From, uh, from Bishop Gorman, and then Percy Butler. Percy Butler is the best special teams prospect in this year's draft class, wow. and maybe the last few draft classes, right? He, he averaged about uh, a tackle every 15, 20 special team snaps in general, a tackle every four or five punt and kickoff snaps. I know people don't love special teams talk. That's incredible. That's incre- That's Matthew Slater level at the college level of what Percy Butler did. He can play on all four special teams, plays at a high level, and not to mention he can play strong safety in the NFL right away. He can play some nickel snaps too. So I think Percy Butler is a guy that I think by early day three of the drafts, he's a guy that if he's still available, every team's going to say, you know what? Backup safety, backup nickel, top special teams player. We'll see where he goes in the NFL. But Percy Butler is a guy that every team wants to have. And, and I think teams are really excited to see him play at the Shrine Bowl. And I think 
He's a guy when teams watch those special teams practices, which I know guys like you, Fran, and people in the media sometimes say, kickoff, I'm going to go hang out over here. Everybody's going to watch uh, Percy Butler and kickoff and, and pump return drills. Long time listeners, consistent listeners of the show, even if you haven't been listening for a long, long time, but we always harp on the value that uh, special teams brings to this equation. And uh, the more more you can do, uh, certainly that helps your uh, you know your chances, not just at making a team, but at being drafted. Uh, Eric, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for helping us preview uh, the event. Best of luck this week. Excited for uh, for you and for your team here as you put off your first event in Vegas. Appreciate it, man. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, so good stuff there from Eric Galco to help preview uh, the top prospects to watch here uh, as the Shrine Bowl kicked, gets underway in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's get through now to uh, Draft Buzz, where we've got a new mock draft. Uh, this one comes from Bucky Brooks from NFL.com and uh, Ben Fennell, once again here to help us break it down. Ben, uh, interesting mock draft here from Bucky. Yeah, really fun. I'm liking this time of year just before the All-Star games roll out, getting some thoughts on paper here solidified. And Buggy's got some uh, a few eye-popping picks here in his top 32 in his first-round mock. So let's dive in here. All right, so let's get through the uh, the most surprising. What was the most surprising selection uh, for you in this entire mock draft? So I would say maybe not so much who the most surprising selection was, Fran, but maybe who wasn't selected. And this is one of the first mock drafts I've seen without Alabama receiver Jamison Williams coming off the unfortunate ACL injury in the championship game against Georgia. His pecking order receivers, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, even David Bell from Purdue sliding in there into the back end of round one, 31st overall to the Lions, which guys, I love David Bell. I think he's an outstanding receiver. But you don't see him going before Jamison Williams too often. This is really the first mock I've seen fully reflecting the injury and the potential slide of Jamison Williams. Mm. Who will take who will take the cheese on a guy that may not be ready for 2022 start of the season? And I look immediately, Fran, to the dominant season of like a Jeffrey Simmons and the dominant performance, unfortunately, in the losing effort against the Bengals. Titans drafted him in the first round coming off an injury as well. And they're reaping the benefits. So, so you got to play the long game, have some vision. Jamison Williams is going to be a good pro. Where do you pull the trigger as far as draft capital? That's going to be a, a big question. Obviously, a, a well-discussed topic here in the next couple of months surrounding the, one of the best best playmakers in college football. Uh, I would say for me, the biggest surprise uh, happened in the top 10. It happened number six overall, and that's the Carolina Panthers taking Cincinnati cornerback Ahmad Sauce Gardner. And I think there, there are a couple things at play here, right? Number one, I would say the Panthers going corner would be surprising after they took J.C. Horn in the top 10 last year. Uh, they traded for uh, Henderson, uh, C.J. Henderson from Jacksonville, another former top 10 pick uh, here midseason with a team that obviously has needs elsewhere. That would be surprising to see them go corner. But I think the other really important nugget here, Ahmad Gardner being the number one corner off the board ahead of Derek Stingley Jr. And Bucky is not alone on an island here. I believe uh, Daniel Jeremiah uh, had uh, Ahmad Gardner as CB1 last week in his mock draft. I think we've seen that pop up here a couple of times recently and just the, the buzz starting to build that maybe Stingley does not go as high as we think. And maybe Gardner is that guy that's going to be that high up on the board. I think that that conversation debate is just getting started. And I think we're going to have that right up until round one draft night, where I don't think we're really going to know who's going to go because they're both high, high level and high upside players in Gardner and uh, Stingley. But when I look at the Panthers and their 2021 season, they allowed the seventh fewest explosive pass plays. This wasn't a team that I look back and say, man, they had trouble stopping the deep ball or they couldn't cover anybody. 
It's a team that needs to score some more points, figure out their quarterback of the future, keep that quarterback upright, and have an identity. And I think there's some other positional needs. Sauce Gardner, going to be a really good pick and a good player for whoever. So a bit of a uh, uh, kind of a spoiled, you know, defensive back room out there now with, uh, you know, Dante Jackson. They traded for CJ Henderson. You now have, uh, you know, the young JC Horn out there. Some very, very talented corners. All right, let's get to uh, the Eagles picks here in this mock draft. We'll start at number 15 overall, the pick from the Miami Dolphins. This one would be, I would say, a popular one with Eagles fans. That's safety Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. Here's the blurb from Bucky. The addition of a playmaking safety with range, ball skills, and thump would upgrade an Eagles secondary that could lose a pair of starters on the back end. And uh, I would say, Ben, I mean, this is a guy that we've talked about here in Kyle Hamilton. We've been talking about him since the summer, right? We know that he's one of the best overall talents in this draft. Like Tyler Linderbaum, like we'll see with, I think, with the linebackers. Uh, I think when you talk about players that come from, you know, quote unquote, less, uh, less important positions, less, you know, not as high priority positions as, you know, pass catcher and corner and pass rusher, obviously quarterback, offensive tackle. There's going to be a lot of variance in terms of how you see those guys come off the board. If Kyle Hamilton goes six, not going to be surprising. If he goes 15, that's not necessarily going to be surprising either. And there are going to be some listeners that say, oh, there's no way Kyle Hamilton falls 17. Everybody would have said that uh, a couple of years ago uh, when it came to uh, our, our, our friend out with the L.A. Chargers. Uh, the, 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 the safety, uh, they obviously, he fell a little bit due to injury concerns. But I think when you look uh, to Kyle Hamilton, the, the, the fall is potential. There's potential there that he could fall all the way to 15. Yeah, and there's a lot of similar parallels to Derwin James there, as I'm sure he was uh, escaping your mind there for yes. just a second. But you got to bet on the traits. And I think when you look at a Derwin James, you know, and in the way a Kyle Hamilton can also contribute to a defense in France, one step further, when I look at a Kyle Hamilton and trying to figure out his positional fit, is he just a single high post player? Is he a half field guy that can come down in quarters? Can he play dime linebacker? Is he a press man guy against these physical big tight ends? You know what? I look at the way Michael Parsons kind of went to that Cowboys team. We'll figure it out when we get him. We'll figure it out along the way. Get good players on this roster. Get high-level, high-upside players with exceptional traits on the roster. And then figure out things that, you know from there in the summer and as the season goes on. Kyle Hamilton, upside, traits, whole lot to like. Get this kid on the roster. And 15 is the spot where Michael Parsons went a year ago, right? I mean, that, that is where I believe the Cowboys were picking uh, when they took Michael Parsons. There was something in that range. It was like 14. Michael Parsons went 15th? It was 14. Yeah, it was something, something in that range, wasn't it? Uh, what a steal. I think, again, that's what, but that's what I mean. Like, Michael Parsons, I think most people would have said last year at this time, Michael Parsons is one of the top three individual players, so one of the top three talents uh, in this draft. And he felt, I was certainly out of the top 10. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was like 14. Yeah, 12th 12, 12 overall. 12th 12 12 overall. overall. All right. Yeah. So 12, you know, he, felt, he falls outside the top 10. I think that's where you have these discussions about a guy like Kyle Hamilton. So it'll be really interesting to kind of follow that here in the coming months. Let's get to the next one here. 16 overall. This is the pick that comes from the Indianapolis Colts. This pick, wide receiver Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Here's the blurb from Bucky. With three first-round picks, the Eagles can afford to add another wide out to the lineup as a luxury item. Burks' size, strength, and ball skills would make him the perfect wide receiver, too, to pair with Devontae Smith on the outside. Uh, ben, personally, I love this fit, not only with Trey Burks. Look, the, the Eagles were one of the best teams in the league in terms of yards after catch, generating yards after catch for their wide receivers, uh, especially if you look on a per-catch basis. They were one of the best in the league. Traylon Burks, one of the best things about him, yards after catch. Get him the ball, let him do work. That's one of the best things about him. 
I think what's going to be really interesting to see, and we see this every year, is he going to get that Debo Samuel bump? We'll see what the 49ers do uh, this week here in the NFC title game. Debo Samuel has been one of the best players uh, in the NFL this year, certainly one of the best receivers, and his versatility, his yards after catch, pass game, run game, gadget plays all across the board. Well, that's exactly what Arkansas has done with Traylon Burks over the last two seasons. They find ways to get him the ball every single way that you can imagine. I kind of wonder if he'll get that Debo Samuel bump uh, and can kind of get pushed up the board a little bit here. Not more so than he should be, but if that's what allows him to be wide receiver one in this class when it's all said and done. Yeah, and he's this prototypical big slot type of presence where these guys are also getting called slot backs in the way that they're used at the end of rounds and now lining up in the backfield and with their thick frame and running back type of profile. That's how Traylon Burks was used at Arkansas. You know, they use him in a lot of yards after catch and quick game and some quick perimeter screens. Sometimes they just line up in the backfield or ran inside zone with him. He's that freakish of an athlete, that gifted with the ball in his hands. And I just love his size and the things you can do with him, whether it's the hand the ball off, the yak stuff, or even the simple stuff like pinning down defensive ends in the run game and the kind of versatility he can give as a blocker. He is every bit of 225, may even be creeping into 230 by the time combine and draft season hits and the way he's going to be working out and bulking his body up. He is a really impressive specimen. I don't even know if I want to call him a receiver. He looks like a move tight end. He looks like just a playmaker out there. He's thick. He's explosive. He's fast. He's physical. Traylon Burks is going to be a really, really fun chess piece uh, to somebody's offense. Hopefully it's ours. Yeah, I don't, and I don't want to take uh, or put words in your mouth, but when people say, oh, he looks like a move tight end, like that's how he looks. That's how he's built. But once he runs, you mentioned how explosive he is. Like he doesn't move like a move tight end. Like he moves like a wider. He is He's impressive, man. I, I I remember back in the summer when we had, had our SEC preview. I think I draw. I said uh, it was a three pronged comparison: Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, and I believe the third was Terrell Owens. Uh, just in terms of like the usage and the body type and the skill set, uh, he's just a really really fun player. One of the more dynamic players. Uh, and receivers class. at that size aren't that common. I right. mean, to be two thirty, you're typically Calvin or Vincent Jackson or having right. Mike Evans a little more of that six five frame. To be in the 6'3 profile and 225, 230, it's kind of rare company. And you're talking Larry Fitzgerald. You're talking Andre Johnsons of the world. You're talking TOs of the world. These guys with core strength, a thick frame, with actual speed and explosiveness and playmaking and route running. It's a dangerous, dangerous combination there. He's not running four six. Like he's not going to combine <laughs> and run slow. Like he he's going to look good, and because uh, that carries over what you see on film. Uh, he is a, a dynamic presence uh, for certain. Let's get to the next one here. Uh, this one nineteenth overall. This is the Eagles' uh, original first round pick, pass rusher Jermaine Johnson. Here's the blurb uh, from Bucky. This is a pick we haven't really seen too much. Uh, here's the blurb from Bucky. The Eagles need to find a replacement for thirty three year old Brandon Graham on the edges. Not to mention Derek Barnett is hitting the open market. Johnson could get the call as an athletic pass rusher with a non-stop motor. So, uh, Ben, like I mentioned, we haven't really seen a lot of mock drafts with Jermaine Johnson penciled in uh, to the Eagles, so we can talk a little bit more uh, about his game here. A really versatile, athletic, uh, kind of a movable player off the edge here for Florida State. Yeah, and he's a guy that's going to be climbing up boards and mock drafts as we head, head into draft season, if he hasn't already, with his absolutely meteoric rise this season with Florida State coming over from Georgia, ACC Defensive Player of the Year. He is tall, he's long, has a good first step, fairly technically active with his hands and footwork, variety of moves, 
good play temperament. He's a guy that really, really looks the part out there of the prototypical NFL defensive end with length and quarterback hunting ability. So he's a guy that maybe doesn't look like a lot of the players we have out there with Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett. Almost looks like a clone of a former Florida State guy that we have in a Josh Sweat. I think Jermaine's a little bit better in the stand-up type of position. Sweat really flies out in that four-point, three-point stance. But two guys, if we have a Jermaine Johnson and a Josh Sweat bookend for the next few years in Philadelphia, that is some serious length on the perimeter. Yeah, and I think when you look at Johnson, you know, there's been a lot of talk about a lot of these defensive ends in this class, a lot of the edge guys, that, oh, this guy could bump inside. Some of his best rushes are when he bumps inside. You talk about uh, whether it's Trayvon Walker and Karlaftis and Aiden Hutchinson's got that ability. A bunch of these guys have that ability to kick inside. I think I like Johnson most when he's rushing off the edge and kind of keep him out there uh, off a runway and let him use those gifts he's got. Uh, He's a really, really intriguing player. Um, Real quick, let's get to the back half here of round one. Uh, From picks 16 to 30, We're just going to find a quick player team fit that we love. We'll start on offense. Uh, I'll let you kick things off. Well, I think uh, Joe Burrow's exciting uh, heading into the AFC championship game, despite the nine sack performance last weekend. We got to address this offensive line and quick, and they're going to do it in the first round next year. Bernard Raymond. I don't know if you want him playing right tackle, maybe even right guard, maybe left guard. I don't know where you're going to play him. Add good players to this offensive line room. We need to keep Joe Burrow upright. Bernard Raymond, Central Michigan, going to the Bengals. Love them addressing the offensive line. In particular, Raymond going to there. Yeah, so just uh, erase Bernard Raymond from everything you just said. Uh, pencil in Trevor Penning at 17 to the Chargers and just giving Justin Herbert uh, more horses along the <laughs> offensive line to protect him. I think that that uh, makes a lot of sense. I, I think you look at Trevor Penning. Uh, we will see both of these guys, honestly, uh, next week at the Senior Bowl. Uh, different skill sets. I mean, Penning is definitely more like the strong, physical, powerful guy. Raymond, uh, he's strong as well, uh, but really athletic and fleet-footed. Uh, I think when you look at those guys, that's where the, the conflict kind of starts. But uh, both guys really impressive prospects we'll see them both in mobile uh next week let's go to the defensive side of the football uh favorite player team fit for me uh i'm gonna go trent mcduffie the corner from washington at 23 to the cardinals uh this is a team a connection steve kime uh, he clearly feels pretty good about what he's done uh, at the university of washington bucky made this point in the mock draft you pick up uh, buddha baker obviously they feel pretty good about what they've done at the university of washington in the last couple of years you got byron murphy uh, who has done an outstanding job in that secondary buddha baker has been outstanding playing the safety spot so you know dip back into those waters you're gonna go back uh, and get trent mcduffie there give us some corner help uh, for a team that needs it uh, and so i love that fit there for the arizona cardinals uh, what was your favorite team fit here yeah i'll stay in the same category of position here I don't know, Fran, if a lot of NFL fans and even some hardcore fans can tell me who started a cornerback for the last eight weeks for the Buffalo Bills. You know, I know we know Trey White, unfortunately, got hurt. Well, it's been Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. Yep. Can use a little bit of an upgrade out there. How about Roger McCreary ending up there in Buffalo in almost a similar type of way that Trey White ended up in Buffalo? Experienced kid in the SEC. Don't overlook this kid. If it's Roger McCreary and Trey White out there playing for Sean McDermott, with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer on the inside. What a wicked four on the back end of that secondary out there. So I would love to see them add a, for all intents and purposes, I know he's going to be a rookie. I call Roger McCurry a veteran cornerback. He just reminds me of a very polished, under control, uh, you know, smart, instinctive football player out there. Really interested to see how he's going to measure up hearing some word about the short arms and things like that, but he has really good foot speed, play temperament, and a very experienced player. I think Sean McDermott would love a Roger McCreary. 
if you've been listening to this podcast, uh, you know that I feel really strongly about Roger McCreary, his ability to transition uh, to the NFL. I, I think that he's got future starter written all over him in any scheme, inside, outside, zone, man. Uh, I think he could do it all. Uh, real quick, this is something we don't usually do, but who's a name or two that stands out as uh, still being on the board? It's We, we know how this goes. It's uh, Thursday night. To 1 a.m., you know, midnight, the night of the draft, and the first round ends, and now all the round two mock drafts are coming out. Who's going to be the, the bell of the ball <laughs> when we get to round two here uh, if this is how And all our good buddies, Dane's hustling to get that article out for yeah. The Athletic of Best Available, and Lance Zerline's hustling for NFL.com. But the most glaring name outside of the Jamison Williams that we already mentioned because yep. of injury, I would expect him to be the 33rd overall pick there on day two, which – Love uh, all trying to pick and who's going to be that next name off the board once we go to bed. How about Andrew Booth Jr. at a no Clemson question. Fran, yep. not in the first round? So right on the tip of my tongue, I think this is an exercise we should do on a week-to-week based on whoever's mock draft we're looking at. Tip of my tongue, going to bed for round two, Jamison Williams, Alabama. Andrew Booth Jr., Clemson, cornerback, who has all sorts of length and upside. And once he gets in shorts and a T-shirt in Indianapolis, I know we overvalue some of those workouts, he is going to be one of the eye-popping studs of the week. He is a really, really impressive and gifted athlete. He really is. I think Andrew Booth, uh, when it's all said and done, we will be hearing his name uh, for for night one. And, and real quick, Fran, I guess to kind of put you on the spot there, I see Kenny Pickett at nine yep. to the Denver Broncos. Okay. Matt, Matt Corral at 11 to the Washington football team. And then it's quiet on the Western front for quarterbacks. If you had to say maybe those next name or two, early second round, who would maybe be on the tip of your tongue if Corral and Kenny Pickett, I know team fit and stuff is going to matter here, um, but just going to bed, um, you know, who would be those next couple names on the tip of your tongue? To me, I think it's going to come down to, and I think both these guys have a shot to go on Thursday night on on, on round one of this draft. I think it comes down to Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter. I think those are the two guys. And we're going to see these guys next week at the Senior Bowl. All of the top quarterbacks outside of Matt Corral are going to have the ability to, to really kind of stand out compared to each other. And we always say this at the Combine. It's like, oh, it's great to be able to see these guys throw one after the next, after the next, after the next. That's what these sessions are going to be in Mobile. It's going to be all these guys except for Matt Corral. You're going to see Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, Carson Strong. You throw in Bailey Zappi in there as well. All of these guys go back to back to back to back to back. Uh, so I think the senior bowl is going to have a, a huge, huge part in deciding who comes off the board first. Uh, but to me, I, I think you go to you, if you go Corral and Pickett as the first two off the board, then you start getting into the Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter, who I, I, don't, I, I don't think it's unfair to say. They've got two of the best like skill set, like physical trait skill sets uh, of this quarterback group. You might throw in Carson Strong in there from a, a, an a arm strength standpoint uh, as well. But uh, Willis, uh, this guy can scoot and he can and he can hurl it. I mean, you look at his arm talent uh, and obviously his athleticism, the most dynamic athlete at the position in this draft. Uh, and then Desmond Ritter, uh, he's got a strong arm as well. He's got some movement skills to him. So I, I think when you look at uh, this quarterback class, if those were the first two off the board, my guess is that you would see the traits guys start to come off the board next. And then I always wonder, you know, see quarterback at nine, see quarterback at 11. That means those picks 30, 31, 32 could be open season for one yeah, of those teams to say, you know what? We don't want to wait and play the play the guessing game on yep. in round two. Let's go trade that second round pick and maybe a seventh move into that back end of round one and go make sure we get the guy. I think that back end of round one, if the quarterback landscape falls like Bucky leads up here with a lot still on the board, I think we're going to see a lot of background back end movement of that first round to make sure we don't take any risks with getting the quarterback we like. 
I think it's a, a really good point. It's something uh, interesting to follow here. And again, uh, next week, Mobile uh, is going to play a huge part in the quarterback discussion. Ben, we'll be talking about it uh, in the coming months. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. So great stuff this week from Ben Fennell, uh, as always. And as always, we're going to wrap the show up with our draft mailbag, where we've got a five-star review from Philly fan AFS, who left a five-star review, like I said, and left this question. Said, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. I'm hearing a lot of analysts and draft people saying that this is a weaker draft. Do you agree with that sentiment? I remember people referred to the 2013 draft as weak, and that actually turned out pretty decent for the Eagles. And so uh, me personally, I am I don't like when we refer to a class as weak, or strong, you know, I wouldn't even say strong uh, as something I don't like either, because I think that there are plenty, there's plenty of talent in every single class. Now, is every player going to work out? No, but I think when you look at it uh, and say like, oh, this class is really weak at position X. Well, that just means that it's not reaching expectations that people have for a certain position, just because all these quarterbacks or all of these wide receivers aren't going to be talked about in the top 10. That doesn't mean that this is a bad quarterback class or a bad wide receiver class. It just means that these guys have some questions or some flaws that are keeping them from being mentioned in the top 10 or in the top five. I think when you look at this class overall, number one, it's really deep at a number of positions because of some of those things uh, that we have talked about a lot over the last year. The senior class is as deep as it's ever been. You had a bunch of guys that went back for that extra year due to COVID-19 here for 2021, and that means that the senior class is loaded. And what that meant for the Shrine Bowl, what that meant for the NFLPA Bowl, and what that meant for all the the lower All-Star games beneath those two games is that their rosters are a little bit deeper than normal because you had just such an influx of seniors. We still had 100 juniors declare for this draft. So I think when you look at the draft, yeah, like is it going to be the sexiest at the top? No, not necessarily. You referenced that 2013 draft. The Eagles came out of that with two future Eagles Hall of Famers and Lane Johnson and Zach Ertz to start the draft off and then a solid player in round three in Benny Logan. I think when you look at uh, this class, there is talent up and down the draft board. There is talent all across at a number of different positions. It's all about the, the scouting process. And then further than that, the development process once you get those guys into the building. So uh, Philly Fan AFS, uh, thanks so much for the rating. Thanks so much for the question. Yeah, I don't agree that this is a weak class, and I generally don't like calling a class uh, particularly strong or weak uh, because I think that there is talent everywhere. It's all about uh, how you find those guys and how you develop those guys. So good stuff uh, as always. We'll be back next week. We've got daily podcasts. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, we're going to be breaking it down. Uh, We will be in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. Make sure you're tuned in right here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.